All right, so when I finally got an electric toothbrush like a year ago, I've told you guys this before, but it really changed my life. I actually brushed for the necessary amount of time, two minutes, <laughs> because my electric toothbrush has a little buzzer that tells you when to switch sides. and That part's dope. It, it's like, really, I mean, I'm not going crazy. This is not hyperbole, but it really changed just like my nightly and morning routine and just made things so much easier. He never shuts up about it, <laughs> yeah. even, even off the pod. Yeah. So a great way that you guys can get a free toothbrush, not only just a free electric toothbrush, a free Sonicare toothbrush, mm. is by scheduling a cleaning x-ray and exam at Green Mountain Dental Group. It's a great deal. Uh, they are a longtime DNVR partner located only 15 minutes from downtown Denver. So if you guys have been you know, putting off going to get an electric toothbrush and instead just buying like a $3 toothbrush from King Supers every three to four months. That's what I do. doesn't work. Make the upgrade. Yeah. Testimonials right there. Make the upgrade. Head into Green Mountain Dental Group. They'll give you a free Sonicare toothbrush when you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam. Check them out today. What's up, guys? Welcome into the DMVR Nuggets podcast. Pre are presented by Illegal Beats, uh, as uh, always. Uh, uh, that was a good one. Coming to you from Pepsi Center, Harrison Wind and Brendan Vote here. Following this Nuggets win, 133-118. The Nuggets are back. Can we take a deep breath? Whew, it's going to be okay. A lot to get to on today's pod. I, I think within this conversation, we'll, we'll touch on the Clippers game a little bit and kind of go from that game to this game, what was different and you know, how much that loss in L.A. meant. But the Nuggets put on like an offensive clinic tonight. The defense was suspect, and we'll talk about that as well. But they ran up 133 points on Toronto, who, yes, we should mention they were without Marcus All, Fred Van Vliet, Serge Ibaka, but still a really talented Toronto team that was going to make Denver work. And, you know, all in all – I still have a lot of questions about this team, and we'll get into it for sure. But, I mean, this was just a much-needed bounce-back performance tonight. That's something about this Nuggets team, right? They do not fall into losing streaks or, like, pits of despair. There are, there are lows, there are blips, but they more often than not, they regroup. Mm-hmm. And more specifically than just the Nuggets, I thought Jamal Murray, who was off to one of the better sustained stretches of good play of his career— has a terrible game in L.A. Well, it takes him no time at all to come back out, find a rhythm, was shot ready from three. So, yeah, the Nuggets took one on the chin in L.A., but they looked ready to come back and fight tonight. Yeah, I mean, how, I guess we w- really weren't too surprised that they're able to flip the page because, like you said, uh, they've done it before. It's kind of been one of the hallmarks about this team. They don't really pile up too many bad losses in a row and I think that is a really strong quality do you think what happened in LA will help this team in the long run and some of the reporting to come out of that Clippers loss Michael Malone didn't say anything after the game pretty much just walked right back off the court did his media and then left the building Will Barton was the one to really step up and you know just speaking to him tonight he really told me that the reason he felt like he needed to say something was because he looks at himself as one of the leaders on this team, and 
he recognizes that the Nuggets have a championship window that's open right now, and he said he doesn't want to look back on this three, four years down the line and say, I didn't do anything, everything in my power to you know, help lift us up, help us try to reach that goal sure. uh, when it's said and done. I mean, how needed was that, do you think? It's possibly a good thing. There's a legitimately legitimate real silver lining to that. Mm-hmm. And this Nuggets team has found little motivators, right, throughout the regular season and in these seasons prior. This year, not so much. I mean, they're they're seemingly just waiting for the playoffs. So a wake up call that look, are you one of the six, seven best teams in the league? Of course. But are you ready to win a title? Are you ready to go to war with the very best teams? There can be something beneficial to a reminder at the end of February. Hey, do not take this for granted. Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. Good teams and veteran teams, especially with established leaders, established voices. And the Nuggets have a couple of those guys, but, um, you know, I, I don't think like the type of communication that goes on in the Nuggets locker room is close to the type of communication that goes on in like the Lakers locker room yeah. with LeBron James. Yeah. Good teams are not afraid to call each other out. Um, and I think like Denver just might not be to that point yet with the guys that are in that locker room. They just don't have a lot of guys who do that, right? Yeah. There's a lot of sort of passive personalities. So that there's, you know, you, you think now, like from the outside watching that, that Warriors dynasty, there were a lot of questions for me about Draymond. Like, hey, that energy's awesome. That attitude's great. But like, can you tone it down a bit? Mm-hmm. But the absence of that here in Denver, you see the value of a guy who's vocal, of a guy who's willing to call out any teammate, any player, and a guy who's willing to kind of like be a dog and and get in the face of the other team. So there is an absence of that in Denver, I think. Barton also, kind of one of his messages in that post-game speech was that a lot of teams in the league, the top teams in the league, think that the Nuggets are soft. Yeah. And um, I think he's 100% accurate. Uh, Just kind of talking to people – Throughout the league, I think that is a perception that teams have of Denver. I think teams know this year, like you think of that Lakers game. I think they knew they needed to take Denver seriously to win. But do they fear Denver? Not a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and just one of the more disappointing aspects of that Clippers game, which you know was totally different tonight, the Clippers approached that game like it was a very meaningful game, which it was. It was probably about as meaningful of a regular season game as you can have. And Denver just kind of approached it like, hey, this is game number 60-whatever. Two nights in L.A., baby. Yeah. yeah. Right. Absolutely, man. Right. And so obviously, like, t- t- we're not just, like, throwing a cheerleader spin on this. Like, it would have been better if they came out and were great in that game. Mm-hmm. But there is possibly a silver lining to, like, hey, man, we cannot take this for granted. Yeah. No matter how good Jokic is. Like, this, as Barton was telling you, this window closes. And, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Teams, I, I believe, think they can get under Denver's skin. And this, this is kind of a whole other subject, but I think, in a way, the Nuggets in the playoffs, one of their downfalls could be that they're kind of easy to game plan for on offense. Yep. I, I think kind of the formula there has been written before, just thinking back to the playoffs last year, and if you just double Jokic and get the ball out of his hands and force – Denver's role players to make shots. That to me seems like the clear game plan against the Nuggets. And the book on that uh, I think is out and written. And that's probably my biggest worry for the Nuggets come playoff time. Um, But I do think teams think they can get under Denver's skin. And it's funny watching this team, covering this team closely, you actually do see all these examples of fight 
of guys who don't back down, of guys who um, they're maybe not dogs in the traditional understanding of, of the term, but they want to win. They play hard. They take these games um, with pride, but just not on the national stage. And, and that matters. That adds up because whatever that pressure is that everyone's watching, um, whatever that is that inspires the teams in L.A. to really bring their best, that's going to be there in the playoffs mm-hmm. the whole time. So Denver's got to be ready to – teams are going to walk into Denver and think they can punk them. And they yeah. need, they, their attitude needs to be not today, not in this building, not to us. They think they can punch Denver in the mouth and the Nuggets aren't going to punch back. Which is why tonight was important. I know there were some injuries to Toronto, um, and, and Toronto's been great this year. It's maybe not the biggest statement when at home. But, look, they could have come out and they could have rolled over and wilted again. Or they could have showed some hangover from that. But it sounds like they understood what Monte said to them, what Will said to them, that they needed to, to approach this game differently. And look, this win over Toronto, 133-118, this is not a referendum that the Nuggets have flipped the page no. from that loss against the Clippers. This is not that by any means. Um, but it is a step in the right direction. It, it was a much-needed win. And, and I was – I can't say I was actually too impressed because, look, the Nuggets have shown, especially over the last couple of years, that they are a completely different team at home and on the road. Yeah, they should win at home. Right. And so – I was not surprised they looked good at home, but I think just them coming out with the fight and yes. the edge that they did at the beginning of the game was notable. Yeah, I mean, exactly. They, they were ready to fight. Jamal, who really, really shrank in that Clippers game, was like thermonuclear in that first. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they looked to me like a team that was ready to um, try to change that narrative at the first jump, the first opportunity. Yeah. So on every Monday show... Right off the bat, we did this last week, but we started a segment called Half Court Heave, where pretty much we make a Half Court Heave, a bold prediction for the upcoming slate of games. Mine last week was that Jokic would shoot better than 60% in three games, and he did. Nailed that Half Court Heave. He went 5 of 8 against the Pistons, 9 of 13 against the Clippers, 8 of 11 against the Toronto Raptors. Your Half Court Heave was... They'd go 3-0. and Close, two and one. Sort of, but that one loss almost counts as two. <laughs> it almost does. We got a lot of submissions, though. A lot of people sent theirs in. I know Mr. Spencer added us. He said he thinks Gary, we- Gary averages 16 and a half points in the next three games. Not quite. Although, Spencer, Gary taking baby steps in the right direction. Um, Gary Harris' Stan account had Gary shooting 50% from three over the next three games. I think he did that. I would have to double check, but... Uh, let me check on that. Yeah, I'll keep going. We'll come back. The research team is on it. Uh, Young Zebra said Gary has a five three-pointer game and Jamal goes for 40 Friday night. Nope. <laughs> Crow G said Paul George scores less than 13 points. I wish. <laughs> We're breaking these half-court heaves. Jordan Scott said Michael Porter Jr. gets 20 minutes in one of the next few games. That was like a curse. That was a curse. <laughs> Thanks, Jordan. Um... Tory Goat account had Tory going for 20 versus the Clippers. How about 17 versus Toronto, though? Not bad. McCray drops a 25-point quarter in March. <laughs> Another curse? Jeez, guys. <laughs> um, MPJ finna bust out against the Clippers. <laughs> nope. And uh, finally, scorching hot take from God is good. ESPN will give the Nugs 30 seconds of airtime after they beat the Clippers on Friday. <laughs> All right, guys. So this might be turning into... <laughs> we might have um, to end this segment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, we're going to keep it going.
And I really hope uh, I, I don't curse with, with this half-court heave and make this a bad omen, but mine for this week is going to be MPJ will go for 20-plus points in one of these games. He has not scored 20 points, uh, I think, since going back before the break. It's been a while. It, it's been a while, but I'm going with MPJ will score 20 in one of these games coming up this week. A, a favorable slate for Denver. They've got uh, Golden State. They've got Charlotte and Cleveland. So t- definitely defenses that he could do it against. My half-court heave. I have Jamal Murray averaging 42% or better from three over the next three games. Okay. I don't know how hot that is right now. He was shot ready tonight, man. He went 6-10 to 10 from three. He was shot ready in the first half. Yeah, yeah. Second Actually, half, no, not so much. The first quarter. First quarter. That's a good correction. Yeah. But he was. He... Even in the second half, there were a couple of threes. I don't think he hit them, but it's like, yes, please shoot that. Jokic mm-hmm. hits you, someone you're remotely open. You got to let it fly. So, I don't know. That might not be hot enough. I might have to adjust that. Send us yours. Send us your hot takes. We'll read them on next week's show. We'll let, shout you out if you got it right. Um, but almost none of you did. Terrible showing from us. <laughs> yeah, Murray was on fire to start this one. I'm trying to scroll my tweets here. Yeah, so he hit his first five threes. At one point, at the four-minute mark of the first, he was 5-5 five five from three, 6-6 six, six from the field for 17 points. Absolutely unconscious. Do you think Jamal Murray got up for this game because maybe it was the Raptors, his hometown team? Oh, that's a good point. That's against good Nick Nurse, who could be coaching Jamal Murray at the Olympics for Team Canada this summer? That's a great point. Possibly, yeah. yeah. I didn't think about that, but that's, that's almost definitely what happened. Yeah, so, so Jamal was great. Definitely got Denver off on the right foot. Nick Nurse, by the way. Nick Nurse was dressed tonight like he was going to see a concert after the game. My guy was styling. Dude, um, you were a big fan of that fit. I liked it. I liked it. It, it was good in contrast to Mike Malone's uh, club bouncer look, the black on black. Yeah, he very Tony Soprano tonight. The nightclub look. But yeah, Nick Nurse looked like a really cool undergrad teacher. <laughs> All right, let's hit a break real quick. A lot more to get to on this game for sure. Jokic just had an all-time game, I thought. Torrey Craig stepped up. MPJ, two regular stints, first and second half. So we'll touch on that too. Real quick, though, the Strawberry Sky from Breck Brew. There were a lot of these flowing at the watch party. I think Blake Street Tavern had two Breck beers on tap, the Avalanche and the Strawberry Sky. I was chatting with our guy Jordan Scott it was his first Strawberry Sky at the watch party. He said he wasn't really like a big fruity beer guy. But as I've said on this podcast before, even if you're not a guy who enjoys those fruity beers, you will probably enjoy the Strawberry Sky. Sure enough, Jordan said he did. So big, big night all around. I'd never had it on draft before, and it's better, like most beer. Yeah. It was really, really crisp. There is a big difference between beers that are canned and on tap. I mean, everybody knows it, but we should just probably reinforce that. Yeah. If you're drinking from the can when you have the choice to go from the tap, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. So Strawberry Sky, check it out from Breck Brewing. If you are if you need to know where you can get a Strawberry Sky, breckbrew.com has the awesome beer locator. Check it out. Also, Mile High Green Cross, right now, if you sign up for their loyalty program, you will receive 20% off of your entire purchase once per month. That's an awesome deal. Awesome deal from Mile High Green Cross. You can get $99 pre-pack ounces and V3 hash oil bulk deals, five cartridges for 100 bucks. 
You can get in and out of Mile High Green Cross in just nine minutes. They are conveniently located on 9th and Broadway with parking in the back. And again, guys, sign up for their loyalty program and receive 20% off of your entire purchase once per month. That offer extends to current members as well. Back here on the DMVR Nuggets podcast, Harrison Wind and Brendan Vote. We are presented, of course, by Illegal Pete's. So we touched on the offense a little that got started by Jamal Murray. Denver put up 40 points in the first quarter, finished with 133. At one point, Denver had like 12 assists on 12 made field goals. The ball was popping. Popping. Absolutely popping tonight. That might be the big takeaway from yeah. tonight. Is it? Probably the best. I mean, when's the last time you felt like they moved the ball that well? For the span of a full game, I, I can't remember. Because typically we've seen it in spots, right. made for a quarter, made for a six-minute stretch with the starters. But we really haven't gotten it like we did for a full game in a while. You know what else was fun and felt different about it tonight? The, they were finishing the play, those possessions, and mm-hmm. scoring. Like I feel like there's been multiple times this year where they get it popping and they brick the open three and mm-hmm. the momentum kind of dries up. But... You know, Gary hitting his open shots tonight was huge. Pretty much every time the extra pass found an open guy, he sunk it. And I think it just kind of became cyclical, you know, contagious even. Yeah, I was talking about how this team did not have enough three-point threats, especially after the – Not about Torrey Craig, Harrison. Yeah, especially after buying Jordan McRae out. And I guess we could touch on that. Yeah, we Um, should. My read on it – look, Jordan McRae is in a contract year. I don't think he was happy about – not being in the rotation. And, look, the guy's trying to get paid. He was having a really good year with the Wizards, playing like 20-plus minutes a game. Came here, and, yeah, he had a chance to be a part of a playoff team, but a better way to assure you can get as big of a contract as you can is to actually play. And so I can see why he you know, wanted out of here, and I can't really blame him, to be honest, but I think that was kind of the situation there. And from Denver's perspective, you really haven't had a lot of this. There was Fareed and, and, um, and Nurkic, of course. But for the most part, you haven't had a lot of guys who seem unhappy with their roles or are vocal about it. Mm-hmm. So maybe just eliminate that distraction, do right by another guy. At some point, you have to just do right by yourself. Uh, but, hey, I mean, if it was becoming a problem, which I don't know if it was, then, then maybe that's why. You just, hey, let's nip this in the bud. Yeah. And look, McCray had that thing at the end of what game was that? Going a couple games back. Was it the Detroit game? Um, I don't remember, man. Or but maybe yeah. the Minnesota game? He, I think it was the Minnesota game. Yanked with 18 seconds left in yeah. garbage time. Gets into it with the, the staff. Was kind of escorted back into the hall by Barton. So I wouldn't say that that's why so much as that highlights what was an issue. From the jump, he was not thrilled about not being in the rotation. And... I think it's not ideal for Denver. Like, they were right to cut bait with him because you don't want a disgruntled guy here. But, I mean, I kind of looked at him as a much cheaper, a much cheaper Malik Beasley replacement. I mean, flipping, was it like Shabazz Napier? It Jordan was Shabazz McCray? Napier. Like, I was like, in a vacuum, forget the Beasley stuff. Like, that's pretty nice. And to have that kind of be done away by, you know, it results in a buyout is obviously less than ideal. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, the three-point shooting, look, I'm still concerned about the three-point shooting for sure. Have to be. Uh, Especially in a playoff environment. But, look, Gary Harris going three of three. 
that is a big development. That's a huge development. He also had a couple of those vintage Gary Harris finishes around the rim. Yep. And uh, one really nice pocket pass to Jokic in a pick and roll that kind of reminded me of last year. And I'll reiterate this. To me, just as much as the open shot making is just, does Gary look like he knows what he wants to do? Does he look mm-hmm. in control? Thought that was the case tonight. Murray obviously was big, goes 6 of 10. Jeremy Grant, who I thought played really well, his defense on Pascal Siakam was excellent tonight. Siakam, who, you know, with Lowry was really just kind of Toronto's go-to guy. OG Anobi had a huge game as well. Dude. 32.7 steals. Seven steals. Pretty sure every one of those steals ended in an OG Anobi (laughs) breakaway dunk. Dunk. He was incredible, (laughs) which if you're familiar with the Nuggets draft night history – Probably super predictable in hindsight yeah. that either he or Der- Terrence Davis would come in here and yeah. tear him up. Yeah, but Terrence hey, Davis. Look, you'd too. rather make OG and an Obi beat you than Kyle Lowry and Pascal yeah. Siakam. But Siakam was 6 of 21, 1 of 7 from 3, had one of the worst air balls I've ever seen as well. But Denver just did a really good job getting into him, kind of making him uncomfortable, and Jeremy Grant deserves a lot of the credit there. Bothering him in a way that I felt like the Clippers really got into Denver a couple nights ago and bothered them. That's an interesting comparison. He is a, um, you know, maybe not a top-tier player, but a second-tier player. Like, Pascal Siakam is incredible. Mm -hmm. And that's not nothing. There's something significant to Grant putting in that kind of defense. Yeah, according to Bill Simmons, I think somebody he would rather have in a playoff setting instead of Nicole Jokic. Yeah, well. Was he above Jokic in those top 25 playoff player rankings i know but he recently picked tatum over Jokic, luca yeah monte morris also had a couple threes and yeah like you said tory craig three of six from beyond the arc maybe the second half tory craig surge is starting for a second straight year 7 11 from the field 7 of 11 from the field tory craig threes are like way up there in the power rankings of oh no 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 yes good shot uh but yeah i mean it's I don't know if you can ever expect reliable shooting. You just look at the shot mechanics. You look at his percentages across his career. But he can get hot. We've seen it before. So what a time this would be for, for a good stretch of shooting. So another big development in this game, and it, it was able to come true because Paul Millsup did not play tonight. Mm. And um, he twisted his ankle in that Clipper game, really was not effective after that, which was really – pretty much the entire game, I think, yeah. that happened in the first quarter. Uh, so Jeremy Grant gets a start tonight, uh, which means the Nuggets only played three big men. Mason Plumley backed both those guys up. And what do you know? The Nuggets bench hmm. looks great. The ball was flying around. Porter got in there, got <clears throat> going for a little bit. Uh, I-, I thought Plumley was effective at times. Monte Morris was good. And uh, look – I'm sure the Nuggets, when they are fully healthy, will try to play four big men. They will try to play Jokic, Paul Millsap, Jeremy Grant, and Mason Plumlee. Uh, that is something uh, that Michael Mullen has done in the past. I think it's something he'll continue to do. Maybe in a playoff setting, Mason Plumlee gets uh, squeezed out of the rotation. Um, but I was not surprised that the bench looked good playing three bigs. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think we know at this point that there's something to that. And I agree with you. I also think we know at this point... If he can, Malone will go with four. So it's it's something to watch. Will we get to the point where there's enough success, even if they back into that because of injuries or whatever, with three bigs that Malone, which we've seen before, is you know reluctantly kind of accepts this as, as maybe the way to go. But I'm not expecting it, man. So it's like it's something we can talk about after each one of these games for the next month. But um, you know, as long as they're healthy, I, I think Malone sticks with it. 
MPJ, four of eight from the floor, six rebounds, three assists, a steal. How many minutes, Harrison? That's what I want to know. 19 minutes. Lovely. 19 minutes. I believe he played 10 minutes in the first half and then nine and change in the second. And I thought pretty good minutes. Yeah. Yeah. The rebounding, you know, Malone mentioned part of the short leash, I guess, in those first two games had to do with his perception of how hard MPJ was playing. One way in which MPJ can really show his impact and his effort is on the glass. And tonight he just kind of had that tenacious look in his eye when he was boxing out, rebounding. A couple of them he won't get credit for, but he tipped some loose balls up and, and just kind of made things happen. So this is, I mean, my biggest surprise with MPJ this season has been his ability to impact a game positively without necessarily lighting it up. Mm-hmm. He's not a high-usage, high-scoring guy insofar as he needs to be to be successful. So I think Malone is wrong in a sense of talking like about MPJ playing hard because MPJ doesn't like he is a really smooth athlete. He kind of glides around the floor. Yeah. A lot of times it might not look like he's playing hard, but that doesn't mean he's not playing hard. And compare him to Tory Craig, a guy who you know is the ultimate one who's going to get on the floor and always looks like he's playing hard. Right. I just think the perception, you know, that MPJ doesn't play hard because it doesn't look like he's playing hard is wrong. I love so, that take. So I think Malone's a little off on that. Um, and also, it's got to be really frustrating for Porter. Uh, and, you know, this goes – this is just kind of in the grand scheme of him, you know, not playing second-half minutes, getting pulled after four minutes in that Clippers game. Look, Denver was so bad defensively across the board against the Clippers – Porter, I went back and watched his minutes really closely. He had one really big mistake when he hedged the screen and Lou Williams just split the defense and went right to the rim. Will Barton was terrible defensively in that game. Craig had some slip-ups. Craig was bad. Michael Porter Jr. was not even close to the top of the list of poor defensive performances. But it's almost like Porter is not really, in a sense, in control of his minutes. And... What happens around him, how the game is going, mm-hmm. the flow of the game might have something to do with how much playing time he gets. Even if he does well in his first stint. Right. right. Like, he could have a great first stint, and then the third quarter starts, Denver starters give up a lead, and Malone's then Porter go. might yep. not play. Yep. So it's got to be super frustrating for him where you know he, he, he could be looking at this thing and say, like, look – I mean, I mean, it's not really under my control sometimes. Uh, for him, that's got to be frustrating. Man, some ultimate tests for this kid right out of the gate between the injury stuff and, and navigating this. His professionalism is being put to the fire right away. How relieved did he seem to you tonight, man, in that post game? It was palpable. Relieved. Well, yeah. yeah. He excited to just talk about the basketball he did play. Mm-hmm. I just would really hope that, and I would think it is, but it's really – got to be communicated to Porter like why he only plays four minutes against the Clippers I don't think it is I would hope it is because if I'm him I'm wondering why did I get pulled I look when I it's been a long time but when I talked to him in Philly at that road trip that's what he was telling me I mean that he he said I need to talk to coach and it's not just that he's not playing it's what you mentioned it's that it's out of his control that he doesn't know when it's coming Mm -hmm. I do not think the communication has necessarily been clear in that way um, but, but hopefully. Which would be surprising because that's been a hallmark of h- how this coaching staff operates 
and has operated with this group of players over the last couple of years. The communication has always been right. pretty steady back right. and forth. That was a couple of months ago, right? So yeah. things could have changed. Things could definitely have changed. Yeah, but a, a step in the right direction for him, sure, getting you know two full stints, uh, the first half one and, and the second half one. And, and, and look, the fear, at least my worry about kind of his minutes being inconsistent is we saw in November how inconsistent minutes led to him, I think, being tentative, led to him really not trying to make a mistake, led to him really overthinking everything. And we have seen for the last couple months that he is at his best uh, when the coaching staff displays confidence in him, uh, when they give him a long leash and just when he's playing free. And the worry is when his minutes aren't guaranteed, he's not doing that. So, uh, Let's see. What else stood out from this game? I mean, the offense was great. How worried are you about Denver defense? I mean, they give up a ton of points to the Clippers. Tonight, at times, it was just a Man, parade in transition with Toronto. I'm actually kind of more worried about the offense, mm-hmm. the schemeability of it, as you brought up at the start of the show. Mm-hmm. Because you, you sent a really good tweet tonight, and we've talked about this. Denver may not always be that four-quarter team defensively, but they can and have and will pick a quarter, pick their spot to clamp down and change the game. Yeah. Like, it's okay if that's a high-scoring game if you're up by a couple, you know, points and possessions into the fourth and then you clamp down. I believe they can do that. Um, some matchups will obviously be harder for them to do that than others. So, I, But honestly, I am actually a little more concerned about the schemeability of their offense. Yeah, I am very concerned about that as well, especially in a playoff setting. Um but I, I don't know, man. I think, like, this team isn't going to win a title because they went full Memphis, right? But can, can they lock things down when it matters to sway a game? The, right. I think the answer to that is yes. That's a very important point um, because, look, I don't think this team is at its best. That might be a bad way to phrase it, but I think you're in a much better spot if you're Denver if you, you know, just play competent defense for three quarters and then really lock it down the fourth rather than devoting all your energy right. on the defensive end throughout the right. entire game. Like, that's fine and even maybe preferable if the ball's popping and guys mm-hmm. are playing well on offense, right? So you kind of want them to be in that rhythm of a game, and, and as long as they can clamp down, it matters. I could really go for some of this right now after a long game here. It seemed like this game took a while. The officiating... That, that third quarter didn't help. We didn't even touch on the officiating, but um, it was an intense game. I thought the fans were going to riot. Yeah, like late in that third quarter, it got really intense. There were five or six super questionable calls, uh, foul calls that went against Denver, that goaltend. Jeremy Grant got a a ridiculous technical technical foul. Hollis Jefferson had one of the worst missed travel calls of all time. When he Euro-stepped and just stopped, just could finish the Euro-step and didn't. I, I do have to say, though, it is incredibly soft that the NBA gives you a technical foul for staring down an opponent after a dunk. I mean, are you kidding? Can we ban that? Are you freaking kidding? Let them have fun. Bro, if you're at a park and you get dunked on, you're getting stared at. That's That's charming and soft. That's how basketball works, man. You should get to embarrass the guy that you just embarrassed. That's how sports work. I think it's ridiculous that you get a technical foul for that. So that officiating, it was pretty one-sided for stretches, but I also don't even care about that so much as I do, like, the frequency of the calls. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, these are two of the best eight teams in basketball. Can they just play? It's been yeah. a great game. Get out of yeah. the way. 
Yeah, it was super intense in that second half for times, and uh, it was right when Toronto was like clawing back into the game too. But anyways, it seemed like a long game, partly because of the officiating. Could definitely go for a cup of Strava Craft coffee right now. Right now, you guys can purchase Strava Craft online for 20% off using the code DNVR20. Vote is a loyal drinker of True, Strava man. Craft coffee. He can speak to it. Uh, right now, you guys can try it at Carbon Cafe and Bar here in Denver. Drip Denver, Slow High Coffee, Blue Sparrow Coffee, and Max Market as well. I think that's really cool. Remember, purchase online for 20% off using the code DNVR20. I got a, um, a DM from someone at DNVR asking me what my favorite Strava, like how I, if it's K-Cups or ground or what flavor. There are um, flavors of Strava Craft Coffee? I've only had the medium roast, but my fingers are crossed that there's a, sh- a little package coming my way, Harrison. Nothing makes me happier than, than some free Strava Craft Ooh, Coffee. A little care package. Stay tuned on that. So, back here on the DMVR Nuggets podcast, presented by Illegal Pete, Harrison Wind, and Brendan Vogt. Nuggets win 133-118. Here's where I'm at where it co- when it comes to, like, looking back on that Clippers game and, and this one tonight where Denver kind of turned the page. I-, I still am a little bit worried about this team, to be quite honest. Just in terms of when the going gets tough, when they hit adversity... Who is going to kind of step up, you know, and put that shit to the side? We saw Will Barton do it, or we heard about Will Barton doing it. I am looking at Nikola Jokic, though, and I think this is a big moment in a big couple months coming up from Jokic in terms of we've heard a lot of talk about him developing as a leader this season, and I think some of that is accurate. But this is going to be a big test for him in the playoffs because – Look, he's Nuggets' best player. He is their franchise cornerstone. They are paying him a lot of money, and he has got to take command of that locker room. And the yeah, time is now. Yeah, the, he, of the locker room, I like that because yeah. he will lead by example on the court. Like, oh, we're we're losing a game we need to win. He'll take over. But you're right. Is he going to be the guy that pulls everyone aside and says, "Hey, you know, this shit stops here," right? Um, so you're right. This might be one of the bigger tests of his career. Yeah, this is his time. He's got to do it right now. The playoffs, this playoffs coming up is too valuable and has way too much significance when it comes to Denver's long-term future, what they might do this summer. This playoffs, I think, is going to set this team in a direction for years to come. And he has got to kind of just take over the pulse of this team and not be afraid, not be bashful when it comes to calling guys out and just kind of setting the tone. Because as quiet as he's been in the past, and yes, I've said he's taken steps this year, guys look to him. Yeah, they do. Guys look to him obviously on the court, but he can also set the tone in the locker room, and that just has to be a step he takes over the next couple months. When he does speak, people listen. And it's been been rare, but we've seen more of it this year. And it's just going to be... If you're in that locker room, if I'm in that locker room as a player, and I care not just about accomplishing this goal... But doing it together, this group that more or less has been together for a handful of years now, this is it, man. Mm-hmm. If it does not go well, if it goes poorly in, in the playoffs, in my opinion, this group is done. Yeah. And, and so if you're Jokic, if you're those guys and, and you really care about each other like you've, you've sold it, you know, sh- show us. P- prove it. Prove that this team belongs together and can be good enough. It's great that Will Barton stepped up. I wish it was Jokic. Yeah, If I'm the Nuggets. I agree. That stepped up. That's got to be him. Uh, that's a responsibility that comes with being a max player. 
that comes with being an all-star, an all-NBA guy, a franchise guy, it's on his shoulders. I, I also wonder if part of it is that he doesn't buy into or see some of the stuff of like, is a team, can a team be soft or hard? You know, like, mm-hmm. Jokic kind of doesn't really see that stuff. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like him talking to his team is more like, hey, when I'm in this position on the court, like, I think it's better if you do this, you know? Mm-hmm. But I don't think he's in there like, here's what the Lakers think of us. He doesn't see that stuff. Yeah. It, he's been fine deferring in those situations to a guy like Barton, right. who obviously has a command of locker room, has a strong presence. We've called him the pulse of the locker room on multiple occasions. I think that's still true. Paul Millsap is obviously a veteran, but you know, I don't think he's a guy that's going to stand up and give some impassioned speech, although he has spoken you know, at, at times over the last couple of years when needed. It, the time is now for Jokic. He's got to be that guy. He, he's got to take on that responsibility, and um, I just think it's an incredibly important final stretch coming up for him. There's this thing with Jokic where because of his personality and, and definitely because of his physique and um, the way he handles the media even, I think people – it's not always clear if Jokic is committed to greatness in the way that some of the other top-tier guys are hungry for it. You know, he's, he's motivated in a little different way than some of these guys. But I had a chat with Vlatko the other week where he just spent the whole time insisting that Jokic wants it in ways we don't see. The weightlifting after the game, um, he does watch film. Vlatko told me he files all these performances away in the regular season as data for the playoffs – Jokic wants it. Jokic wants to be great. So to your point, this is how he can show us. Mm-hmm. This is how he can show us. Yeah, it's just the next step for him. He, he is an incredible competitor, a fierce competitor that hates to lose. I just think the leadership aspect, this team needs that from him. They need it really bad from him. He's getting paid like it, like he should be that guy. Hey, like Jamal Murray stepping up and being that guy wouldn't hurt either. They're paying him a lot of money sure, too. Sure, sure, right. <laughs> But I just think like it's, when you're when you're the best player on a team, yeah, they're going to look to you whether you're ready for that or not. Right. So we'll see what happens in that respect. Do you want to hit some questions? Yes, please. Let's hit some questions. Obviously, these are coming uh, to us from our DNVR members, like they do every show. If you guys have a question about anything we're talking about tonight, takes about this win over the Raptors. Members, comment on the DNVR.com at the bottom of this podcast on the site. These are coming to us after that Clippers game. GSH Denver writes in, throwing out strategy and realism for a moment. If this turns out to be the Nuggets year, what is your ideal set of playoff matchups for Denver that would make this even more memorable? Oh, but still within reason, you can't make the Lakers an eight seed, for example. He says, for me, it's first round against Utah. Jokic plays Gobert off the floor. Second round, Clippers, Western Conference Finals, Lakers, so that the national media has to acknowledge that they were wrong about both L.A. teams. And finals over Philly, this is good, because we all know who the best center in the NBA is, and that fan base would literally short-circuit if Jokic That's true. beats that, that is true. Philly would actually explode. <laughs> Those are all pretty good. I like that. I'm going to change – I'm actually going to change two. Second okay. round to Houston mm-hmm. and round one to Portland. Just complete the revenge cycle. I think we're at this point now where, like, Denver plays Portland and the mental advantage is there. They don't fear them. They don't worry that they lost to them in a playoff series. But it would be delicious for the fan base, I think, to come full circle with this Portland thing and and, and close the book on that rivalry. Yeah, that might be a tough one because I think Portland, the only way they could get in is the eight. So Denver would have to get the one. I don't know if they're catching the Lakers, but I agree. I would go Nuggets over Portland. 
Could the Nuggets beating the Trailblazers just smoking them in the first round send Portland into just chaos this summer? Trade McCollum. Yeah. Yeah. It might. I would love that, man. It might. And then um, then we just need Vlaco to tell Nurkic to have a nice summer. <laughs> I would go Western Conference Finals over the Lakers for sure. And then who in the finals? Probably Philly. I think the Jokic and Bead factor would would probably do it for me. I think Philly's the right the right call. Mm-hmm. I could say Boston too because I personally hate the Celtics. It is a bias. Mm-hmm. Jake the Plumber writes in had to work till the second half of tonight, so my takes might be bad. But those refs were trash AF. Transition D was also trash. Were the games against the Raptors this chippy last year? Oh, that's about this game. Yeah, it's about this one. Damn, he got a question in, like, mid-game at the half? We, we've got two – we got one more from uh, tonight. Wow. Sorry, what was the question? Have, are games against the Raptors always this chippy? We were kind of talking about this earlier, but it was super intense for a while. I don't think so. I think the officiating really played into that. Yeah, the officiating kind of set that in motion. I don't even think the Nuggets were upset with the Raptors. Yeah. You know? Jamal Murray did get into it with Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, just kind of going back and forth a little bit. The Raptors have some physical dudes. They do, man. That was one of my big takeaways watching both teams warm up pregame. The Nuggets have all – everybody on the Nuggets is so uh, slim and and just like in such great shape. They're all so skinny. Raptors guys are in really great shape too, but they're like big. OG and OB, Terrence Davis, Kyle Lowry. Yeah, some, some stout boys, some thick dudes. It, Toronto is exclusively long and thick boys. It is a wild <laughs> roster yeah. physically. Oh, Chris Boucher, uh, honorary long boy mm, member. True, <laughs> I like that, that. dude is like 6'11", 210. But I don't think I think the Raptors games have been good and close and competitive, but not that intense. Mm-hmm. FGZO12 writes in, he writes in today slash tonight, a majority of the trash or a majority of the talk after last game is about the situation with MPJ. I'll echo the comments earlier about being perplexed or shocked or whatever word you want to choose about the situation. At this point, I am about ready to drive to Malone's house and either ask him about it or just directly... I'll leave that part out. There has got to be more to his limited playing time than his actual play on the court. Is there any idea at all about what's going on behind the scenes in practice? I cannot understand that even a stubborn Malone would think MPJ does not provide a better chance to win being on the court versus the bench. If Josh and Tim are such big fans of MPJ, is Malone in some trouble at this point? Something's got to give. So, look, he was asked about kind of the – MPJ situation after that Clippers game by Mike Singer and Mike just asked him what was the decision like to go with Grant and Malone said he thought it gave them the best chance of getting back in the game which is go to I think that's the truth man I think that's actually you know what goes on in right. Malone's brain Malone does feel that way yeah I agree and so you know that is the reason he thinks what Tory Craig gives them defensively gives them the best chance to win in some of these situations where, it's, where Porter hasn't played in the second half. I agree with you. I think that's most of it. There is also this dynamic, I think, I would imagine, that if you're a head coach and you get a talent like Michael Porter Jr., he's going to be starting next year. It's a matter of time before he's averaging 20 a game. At that point, he probably doesn't want to hear it, your criticisms of his defense and his... If there's a chance to coach him up, it's this year. But I think you're right. I think most of it is... 
he truly does believe in those scenarios that Craig or Grant gives them a better chance to win. Uh, I think he's wrong in some of those, but but that's what he's seeing. And so mm-hmm. I don't think it's anything like um, – I don't think there's anything behind the scenes you don't know about as yeah. a fan. Yeah, and I think Malone will also point to his track record of developing yeah. a lot of young guys. And he's probably looking at this situation and saying, look, I took this approach with – you know, a lot of guys on this roster, and it's worked out long term. Yep. Uh, so that's what I'm doing here. As far as the front office part, they're, they're not going to pressure him. They might have their opinions, and, and there's stuff that you know, everyone in this organization might want. Um, but I've had conversations in which they've made it explicitly clear it's not their MO to, to tell Malone what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do agree, though. I think he's starting next season. I, I would actually be a little surprised if he was not starting next season. At this rate. Yeah. Yeah, there's no – I mean, there's almost no way. <laughs> the, the funny thing, man, though, is I, I understood it at the start of the season, but at this point, I kind of think MPJ does give you the best chance to win. Like, it's not even a development play. I mean, I, good things happen when he's out there. Yeah. But we'll see. This team uh, – we talked about this a lot on today's show, but this team I think is kind of easy to game plan for. And – you need the dynamic that MPJ adds to offset yes. some of that defensive gameplay. Yep. He is the one wild card 100%. that can throw a wrench into that pretty basic game plan that teams can deploy against them. If he came in feeling himself popping, that's you're 100% right. That is the thing that would catch yep. Houston LA off guard. That's why it is so integral. I think it's a top priority for this team to get him in the rhythm he was in pre-injury before the playoffs. They've got 20-something games left to do that because I don't think this team will advance past the second round if they're not getting pre-injury MPJ. I don't think they do. I don't think they're dynamic enough. I don't think they're dangerous enough without him playing at that level to get to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I agree. I think their floor is that without him, right? They don't need him to get that far, but how can this be different? What shot do they have of beating... The Lakers. Mm-hmm. A 6 11 dynamic score. Another one coming in from about MPJ from N. Nozari. Would MPJ get 20 plus minutes on every team in the NBA right now? Mm, every single team that's out of the playoff picture, 100%. Yeah. Right? Literally, no doubt. The Lakers, would he play 20 minutes a game? Probably not. Probably not. Clippers, uh, the Clippers probably not. probably not. The Rockets, I'd say yes. Yeah. The Jazz, <laughs> I'd say, <laughs> the J- he does not seem like a Quinn Snyder guy, that's for sure. Right. Is, is there a chance MPJ would actually be playing less on the Jazz <laughs> than the Nuggets? That's possible. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> Dallas, I bet he played 20-plus minutes. They're kind of thin on the wing. I mean, look, most teams in the league were like, yeah, we can find minutes for a, yeah. a guy that big on the wing. JB Denver Sports guy writes in, Big Twitter, big Nuggets Twitter guy. Guys, sorry I missed the watch party on Friday. I will take the L for that. We all took the L at that watch party. (laughs) The combination of Friday night happy hour, Comcast and Dish customers being able to watch the game paired with a frustrating blowout loss in which MPJ played very little caused a Nuggets Twitter meltdown on Friday night. Exasperated fans ignored the poor performance by the majority of the team and instead focused their venom towards Denver media members, oddly enough. Even though Denver media has asked Malone about MPJ plenty of times during the scrums of frustration with how Malone was using his rotations. Shout out this commenter. Yeah. That, that's the thing, man. People are come at us and 
put this out to Twitter like we've never asked Malone about MPJ. He gets asked about it in almost every scrum. You guys can pick one of three answers. I thought it gave us the best chance to win. Coach's decision. Like, you've heard it. You've heard yeah. the answers. Um, my question is, out of all Denver media members, who would you choose to come out on top in a fist fight versus Michael Malone? Literally cannot why are we, why are we talking come about on. fighting Michael Malone? We don't even want to. Yeah. Also, he says, he's scary. <laughs> I don't want that smoke at all. I would not want to be in a dark alley with Mike Malone. No, because he's definitely not on my side. Uh, JB Denver Sports says his money is on Mars. He has the size and reach advantage to give Malone some problems. I'm not going to lie, bro. I would... Yeah, I'm just going to not touch this question, actually. <laughs> Take a hike, writes in. Simple question, is it time to be worried about MPJ? This was after the Clippers game. Look, I just think that this is kind of going to be the thing that happens throughout the rest of the season, but I do believe his minutes will trend upward like we saw tonight. I think the worrying would just be, is there a a significant hit to confidence or to his relationship with the team that's unrepairable? But look, they have him under team control. Like you said, he'll be starting next year. Like, I don't think you have to worry, is MPJ going to demand out? Like, that's not on the table. It's a drizzle, writes in, not saying I agree, but want thoughts as good as Millsap is, has been with the starters. We've seen that he can be equally effective with the bench. However, we've seen Grant struggle at times with the bench while excelling with Jokic and the starters. Would it make sense to move Grant into the starting lineup simply because you're raising your four? As you know, you're getting a better Grant and equally effective Millsap. It gives Millsap some more rest while engaging him more with the bench. I also think it might help MPJ knowing he has Millsap on the floor to guide him. I think that is a valid point. Pairing Millsap with MPJ would be good, especially defensively. Um, but I think it probably just comes down to, like, the Millsap-Jokic combo has been so good. You know, It's somehow underrated. Yeah. It's just the great Jokic combo has been good. Not as good as the Millsap-Jokic combo over the last couple of years. And I just think knowing how good those two can be together, you don't want to change that. And I also think a lot of – you know, juxtaposing the halves of Grant's season, him struggling versus doing well. I think that stuff probably has more to do with three or four bigs in the rotation, less yeah. than, right, like Millsap needs to be coming off the bench. Now, in the playoffs, maybe that could change, and I would not be surprised if in the playoffs Grant is playing 30-plus minutes right. a game and maybe Millsap is playing closer to 20. There will be, I think there will be a lot of games where Millsap starts and Grant closes. Yeah. And that will be matchup-based. But, look, man, there – Millsap came back from injury. I know he had a couple of bad games, but Paul Millsap in the starting lineup is a very good thing. You know, I think that's a weird misconception. Um, the, the floor is really high for this team when he plays. Anything else you've got on tonight's game? The turnovers with this issue are still – the uh, yeah. turnovers with the team are still an issue. And there it, are a lot tonight. It wasn't in the start of the season, right, if I'm remembering correctly. It seems like a recent development. And not just turnovers, unforced errors – I think that's something that they can correct, but I agree. That's an issue. And that's part of, like, oh, what's going on with the defense? Well, they're handing teams, like, 10 to 12 free points yeah. right now. Yeah. The turnovers have been really costly. Like, I-, I think I've seen a lot of scenarios where, you know, they're unforced errors and they're leading to just, you know, wide-open transition wide layups. OG dunks. Yeah. So they got to cut those out. And then I guess we should – I mean, just a little bit on Gary – Again, you want to hold off on saying he's back until you see something sustained, but 
Obviously an encouraging performance. Three from three from deep, I believe, tonight. Six of seven from the field, 15, four, and three. Another step in the right direction for Gary. I think we did touch on that earlier, but that's mm-hmm. just um, another big takeaway is, uh, hey, maybe Gary's starting to feel himself again. Yeah, that's a huge development. We didn't even really talk about Jokic's night, but he was masterful. <laughs> I mean, 8 of 11 from the field, 18 rebounds, 11 assists. He's now tied with LeBron James for the second most triple-doubles in the league with 12 this season, one behind Luka Doncic for the league, for the lead. And, Brendan, he is three behind Nuggets legend Fat Lever. Ooh. Four. He's got 40 in his career. Three behind Fat Lever for ninth most triple doubles in league history. Ho-hum. Just another night in the life of Nikola yeah. Jokic. He was unleashing some Hail Marys tonight in front of Paint Manning and I, Drew Locke. Dude, I love that. You know, game-to-game media fans, we cover this, and, and the ebbs and the flows, and we freak out over a certain game, and Jokic is just like, you know what I'm going to try tonight? <laughs> I'm going to try two 90-foot passes. He had some all-timers for, forget, forget the best passing big man thing. Like, it's one of the three, four best passers alive. For sure. But, yeah, he was great tonight, just so effective. He had the one where he was um, doubled, doubled down low and – he just kind of winds up and whips it over a defender's head to Gary in the corner. Mm-hmm. There's no angle on that pass, man. Yeah, He's incredible. Yeah, he had some great ones. I thought Will Barton struggled, and I got to say I'm a little worried about Will just from a health standpoint. just doesn't seem like he has that same explosion yeah, he had before yeah. that kind of little knee injury that still may, feels like it's lingering a little bit. Yeah. So. Took a lot of victory laps on his season because it's been great, but he has no doubt struggling right now. Yeah, he, he was just carrying such a big load I when think that's um, a big part of it, man. When Denver was down two, three starters. Yeah. Such a big load, so I, much I, responsibility. I don't think people realize like what that load includes. Like, hey, can you be point guard right now? Hey, can you be an offensive rebounder? Hey, can yeah. you guard their wing? Like, that's yeah. a lot. So a, a much needed win for Denver tonight. 133. 118. Keep sending your questions in, guys. Members, sending your questions, thednvr.com. Put them in the comment section of this podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with another show. Talk to you guys then. So I did hear that it's snowing out yeah. as we sit and record this podcast. Yeah. Boy, do I wish I had equ- I had equipped my car with a snowplow from Denver Rubber Company. Uh, those guys can help you out with anything that has to do with snowplows. Denver Rubber Company, not what you think it is. They've been doing it since 1972. And Denver Rubber Company uh, is your one-stop shop for anything that has to do with snowplows. Their blades can be cut to any length length and slotted for mounting to meet your exact specifications. Check them out. Locally owned since 1972. Call them today for any snowplow needs, custom gaskets, hoses, etc. 
1-800-259-0010, or visit them at drcfirst.com backslash DNVR. Tell them who sent you.